good to be with you tonight. If you haven't met, my name is Paul, and we're going to look at uh, Psalm 34 tonight. That's on page uh, 396, so you might have to turn back to that in your Bibles. And let me uh, commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we've just sung that you are worthy of praise, and we've sung that you are a holy God and so we thank you that uh, despite our sin uh, you continue to uh, speak to us through the scriptures and by your spirit. Uh, Father please make us men and women tonight who uh, long to hear you, who long to be changed by you. So please do a good work uh, through your word and by your spirit tonight. In Jesus name. Amen. Australians uh, wouldn't give a, a castle main 4x for, for anything else. But if you prefer the, the soft drink, well, I can coax the real thing. If you're a Mazda driver, what do you go? Zoom, zoom, zoom. But if your tasting car is a bit more upmarket, then to drive a BMW is it's sheer driving pleasure. Uh, they're great slogans, aren't they? They're great slogans, but uh, do, they, do they really work? And do you sit there and watch an advert and think, I want a Mazda, says the man with the Mazda 3 sitting outside. Do you watch those adverts for, for Castlemaine 4X and think, that is a beer for me? I mean, the advertisers, they, they've got to actually change your thinking and they've got to change your behaviour, haven't they? It's, it's okay thinking that uh, Castlemaine Forex is the, the beer that Australians like to drink, but actually, do you actually go out and buy it? That's the question. I reckon the advertisers have got such a hard job these days. Uh, our thinking is so suspicious. Uh, we think that we're being manipulated or that we're being conned. And so the advertisers come up with more and more sort of uh, way out or, or different ways to grab our attention. Uh, so at the moment you've got the, uh, the shock tactic ads, haven't you, for the, the melanoma. You know, the beautiful woman on the beach and then you see inside her skin and you've got that black thing that's crawling around, the cancerous melanoma. It's just horrific. Or, or you've got the, um, the guilt trip advertising. You know, have, have you called Jenny yet? Uh, do you want to lose those 20 kilos? Uh, do you want to have a, a six pack and abs like me? Have, have you made that phone call yet? You know, these ads are, are pretty impressive because they, they make us feel guilty and think, I want that and I need that. And so we hand over the cash and we, and we actually change our behaviour. That's what advertisers do. They, they change your thinking and they change your behaviour. But do they really work? I was out uh, before Christmas, standing at Milsons Point Station, uh, trying to advertise the cowers under the bridge. Had a Christmas card with all the information about cowers under the bridge a smiling face at seven in the morning standing outside the station and I just said happy Christmas and person after person after person came up to me and they said oh no thank you happy Christmas and no thank you and I'm thinking what do you want a miserable Christmas a sad Christmas depressing Christmas uh, but we can understand it can't we because we too are, are subject to this sort of unrelenting uh, torrent of, of persuasion you know, take this, buy this, check out this. And so, 
we put up these mental barricades, I reckon, and we're sceptical of all advertising. But the question is, what about when you try and talk about Jesus? What about when you try and sell, if you want, the gospel? What about if you try and advertise Jesus Christ and Christianity? How do you do that? Again, you've got to change people's thinking. You've got to help them to understand what you're saying and the message you're trying to communicate. But you've also got to get people to change their behaviour. Because loving Jesus and being a Christian is not just knowing the right things, it's actually changing the way that you live in response to it. So what is the best advertising campaign for Jesus? You know, some churches have employed advertising agents to work out a best advertising campaign for Jesus. They're trying to market Christianity a bit like you would sell toothpaste. And I reckon some churches could do with employing an advertising agent. Here are some signs I found, the worst signs I reckon on the internet. This church, the, the Providence Presbyterian Church, God loves you whether you like it or not. Is that going to persuade you to walk in the doors? Or Glad Tidings Assembly in London, don't be so open-minded your brains fall out. Is that good advertising? I like this one from the Catholic Church, a picture of Jesus saying, Jesus is watching you right next to the adult store. Or this church in, again in America, Read the Bible, it will scare the hell out of you. Is that good advertising for Jesus? Well, this is my particular favourite. Crossroads Church of Faith. Jesus, your get out of hell free card. Now, is that going to persuade you to actually check out and stop and listen to Jesus? What does persuade someone to take Jesus seriously? See, I'm not convinced that you put on an event and you get a great speaker and you get great publicity and you hand out the cards and people will flock through the door I'm not persuaded that works I am persuaded that the most effective way of talking about Jesus the most compelling way of introducing Jesus to people is is you and me it's people with changed lives who are living differently and living for Jesus you know, the most compelling advertising campaign you want is the, the trusted, honest person who's living the changed life. And I hear that story time and time again. You know, the person at work who was just different and they were a Christian and so they started to take Jesus seriously. And the person they knew who became a Christian they watched their life change so radically and so that was compelling and they started to investigate who Jesus was. Friends, the personal testimony is is just so persuasive, it's so compelling. And Psalm 34 is really a personal testimony. It's compelling. David wants to tell people about his experience. David wants other people to see God in the same way that he does and to join him in praising God. This Psalm, David is basically saying, I was in deep, deep trouble. I was in deep trouble, uh, but I've experienced the goodness of God in the most incredible way and I want you to share that please taste and see how good God is I put my trust in God and it did work try it, see it, buy it he's kind of like your advertiser's dream isn't he he's the, the genuinely satisfied customer he's not paid to say it he's not scripted he just loves God and he wants other people to join him 
the heading for this psalm gives us the background it's there in small font in your Bibles this is part of scripture it's not like the other NIV headings it says a psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left and you can read about this event in in 1 Samuel chapter 21 let let me just give you a potted history Uh, King Saul is raging against King David and David is forced to flee and David is desperate and he's penniless and he's hungry and alone and if you were David where would you go and hide? where would you seek refuge? I reckon the last place you would go is the land of the Philistines Uh, it's like the, the Serbians hiding in Croatia remember David has killed Goliath David has slain ten thousands of Philistines but he's so scared of Saul he's so fearful that he flees to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines recognise David and they capture David and they they haul him before the king and he's terrified so the word in verse 4 fear look at verse 4 I sought the Lord he answered me he delivered me from all my fears that word fear is literally shaking and trembling and terrified he said my life is on the line so what do you do when you're terrified? What do you do when you're trembling with fear? You do what every person does. You pray. You cry out to God. You call out to God. And that's what David did. He prayed like mad. So verse 4, I sought the Lord. Or, or verse 6, this poor man called to the Lord. David is pleading with God. He's wrestling with God. He, he's seeking God's face in prayer. And as he's prayed, the lights must have gone on and the idea comes into his head he's kind of saying that the king of Gath is is a powerful man but he's also a pretty stupid man and so David decides to do some play acting it's there again in in your superscript he pretended to be insane he faked insanity if you want and you read about he's foaming at the mouth he's rolling the floor he's, he's clawing at the furniture with his fingernails and the king fell for it the king fell for it and he just said get me out get him out of here and so the Philistines threw David out and as he went David wrote this psalm now why have I told you all that I've told you all that because this psalm is not like a lot of psalms that are lamenting it's not written in the midst of trouble you know he's doubting he's questioning he's fearing this is not one of those psalms this is a psalm of thanksgiving it's written after he's escaped it's written when the weight has been lifted if you want it's a bit like the psalm that you might write after the exams are over it's a bit like the psalm that you might write when the, the, the test results have come back and it's all clear it's a positive psalm and so David celebrates by singing we've got 22 verses of singing it's a really fun psalm, Psalm 34 it's written in what's called acrostic form so that's your, that's your footnote B, uh, Psalm 34 footnote B it's acrostic that just means that there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and David picks the first letter A and starts verse 1 with that he he starts verse 2 with the second letter B uh, verse 3 with the third letter C etc 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 it's just a fun psalm so please don't read this psalm as like a, a progressive logical argument David is just bursting out ideas and feelings and truths about God He's just saying, uh, my situation was so terrible, but God was so good to me, and I want you to know that. Look at verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. 
or verse 3 glorify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together he's saying come on sing with me I want you to know how good God is come on try it so what is it that David is trying to sell I think he's trying to sell there's two things a changed belief and a changed behaviour and the changed belief is this he wants you to know that, that God is good that God is good that's what David discovered through this incident that's what David wants us to know that our God is not an ogre he's not vindictive he's not malicious he's not capricious he's a good God look down to verse 8 he says taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him or verse 10 the liars may grow uh, weak and hungry but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing he says God is good now that is such a a simple statement isn't it God is good it's so simple but actually if you, you grasp hold of it it will completely transform your Christian life see sometimes we we don't feel that God is good sometimes events will happen in your life that you're sitting there thinking I thought God was good but I'm not quite sure now how does David sell that God is good he says firstly that, that God is present with him God is good because he's, he's always present he's never alone God is not distant he's not a mechanical God he's a God who's with you so he sees all things so look at verse 15 the eyes of the Lord are, are on the righteous they're the people who have put their trust in Christ the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous people and verse 16 the face of the Lord is against those who do evil now that is God's goodness isn't it if you think about it that the God isn't blind to the evil ones the wrongdoing in this world doesn't escape God's face people don't get away with it people won't get away with it God sees it and verse 15 God hasn't abandoned his righteous people God sees everything that happens to everyone even things that happen to you in private God sees and God hears that's the biggest comfort to David look what he says in verse 4 I sought the Lord and he answered me or down to verse 6 this poor man called and the Lord heard him or again verse 15 God's ears are attentive to his cry or verse 17 the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them now that's God's goodness isn't it uh, when David cries out he's not talking to thin air when David pleads with God he, he's not trying to wake God or grab his attention God's attentive and longing and waiting and David doesn't just pray to make himself feel better David prays because he actually believes that God listens and God hears and God answers that's God's goodness isn't it his presence in seeing and in hearing uh, his protection uh, look at the words that David used in this psalm they're all about protection or delivery so verse 4 I sought the Lord he answered me and he delivered me from my fears or verse 6 again this poor man called the Lord heard him and God saved him verse 7 the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them do you get the sense of protection and salvation and deliverance he's saying I was in real trouble 
I was surrounded by all these enemies and all these armies, but, but God did protect me. Now how did God deliver David? How did God protect David? He could have just used a, a teleporting, couldn't he? He could have just taken David out of Philistine, put him to safety. He didn't do that. God used David's mind and God controlled the mind of the king and God controlled the decisions of the Philistines that is how God delivered David and God protected David and that is God's goodness isn't it a God who who knows you so well who sees everything that happens who hears everything that you cry out to him and who protects you and delivers you isn't that the goodness of God so let me ask you why do we question or doubt God's goodness why do you struggle to believe that, that God is good I think there are two reasons the first reason is this that God doesn't seem to hear our cry that God doesn't seem to answer our prayers you know we, we're surrounded by opposition or we are struggling financially or, or we're lonely and God never answers my cries or you know we're crying out for a child or we're crying out for a life partner and God doesn't seem to hear us and so we question whether God is good and friends the problem is that is that we've got a wrong understanding of the word good because we think good means God for me, good for me and good from my perspective and good for me now and the Bible says no no God's goodness means God good from his perspective because God doesn't always give us what we want or, or what we demand but he always gives us what is good from his perspective it's really Romans 8 isn't it we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him but that good isn't tangible or material or beneficial necessarily it just means good from God's perspective and the next verse goes on to say to transform us into the likeness of Christ that's the goodness of God making us more like Jesus you see when we cry out to God he often does answer our prayers but he answers in a way to make us more like Jesus not necessarily giving us what we, what we cry for let me give an example you know we have a, an inconsiderate boss and we, we're praying Lord please make him more considerate and we're pleading with God and we're crying out to God he doesn't seem to answer us but God is answering our prayers he's saying Paul come on uh, be more patient uh, be more humble learn to, to suffer long like Jesus did or maybe we're crying out uh, for healing we've got a sickness that won't disappear and you say I prayed and I prayed and I prayed how can God be good? he's good because he's teaching you to be more dependent on your heavenly father and to long for that resurrection body now that is God's goodness isn't it? God answering our cries answering our petitions in a way that is good for him and will make us more like Jesus that's how we taste and see that God is good I think the second reason we don't understand God's goodness is that we don't understand deliverance and so we read verses like verse 19 look at it with me a righteous man may have many troubles but the Lord delivers him from them all he protects all his bones not one of them will be broken and we read verses like that and we say that's not true that's not true there will still be troubles in my life and my needs are not met and when I cry out to God uh, things don't magically disappear so how is God good? let me suggest ways he's good 
He's good because he does deliver us from temptations. He delivers us from, from ways that might cause us to abandon Jesus. He won't tempt us beyond that which we can bear. That is God's goodness. Uh, he's good because he does deliver us in so many ways, you know, ways that we take for granted. He provides that Christian friend to support us. He provides the medical staff or the medication. He removes the threat. He, he gives us a word in season to lift our eyes unto Jesus. That is God's goodness. But the key thing in this psalm is that that word deliver that comes time and time and time again uh, in verse 17 he delivers them uh, it's actually an eschatological word an end time word and the clue is there in verse 22 the Lord redeems his servants no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him that's just the promise no condemnation no condemnation not just in this life but on that last day that's why God is good he may not remove your debilitating illness but you will be delivered on that last day he may not take away the oppression or the aggressive environment but on that last day he will judge your enemies and if you're in Christ there's no condemnation for you now that is God's goodness isn't it he'll keep you, he'll care for you he'll be like that fortress from the world that is God's goodness and if like David you have experienced God's goodness first hand now, like any good salesman, we should long for others to experience that. And then verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it, see it, believe it, trust it. He sees you, he hears you, he will deliver you. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to change your belief in that. And stop questioning that and stop doubting that. And start to see his goodness that's a changed belief God is good what about the changed behaviour how does David want us to respond to the goodness of God what will persuade other people that God really is good let me give you three responses the first one is this pray to God call out to God plead with God that is the huge privilege of a believer you know, when we, like David, are in a tight corner, it's the one thing that, that we as believers can do that the unbeliever can't do. We can pray, we can petition, we can plead with God. Why? Because, because God takes our prayers seriously and he hears them and he answers them according to his will. Look at verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 4 again, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 6 again, the poor man called and the Lord heard him. He's kind of saying, look, whatever your circumstance, whether you're brokenhearted, whether you're crushed, whether you're sad, whether you're wounded, whether you're just oppressed, whether you feel you're under attack all the time, the one thing that you can do is pray. You can lift up your voice, you can lift up your eyes and you can just call out to God that's a real privilege for Christians but friends it's one that we often forfeit isn't it, it it's bizarre that when, when, the, when we're under attack when we're feeling threatened it's often the one thing that we struggle to do just stop and call out and plead with God reminds me of the word of that old hymn what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear 
What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And please remember, David David prayed to God here as his almighty, as Yahweh, as the Lord. When we pray today, who do we pray to? Because of Jesus, who do you pray to? You pray to God as your heavenly father. You pray to the God who knows you so intimately, who cares for you so deeply. And that's a huge blessing, isn't it? Because we can seek the Lord as our Father. And it's hard, isn't it? We often pray time and time again, week in, week out, but please never forfeit this blessing. It's a huge blessing to us, and it's very persuasive to other people. You know, when other people see Christians praying, that's a great witness, isn't it? There's a crisis in Kenya and when the church gathers together to pray, the world watches. When your colleague at work is going through a real crisis, that simple statement, let me pray for you, that's a huge witness. And the way that you handle crisis and opposition with prayer, saying, I'm praying, other people are praying for me, that's a huge witness. If we really believe that God is good and he sees, he cares, he protects, then we might day we'd pray we'd cry out and we'd seek the Lord's face. So please pray to God. Secondly, please fear God. Do you spot that in verse 9? Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear God lack nothing. Or verse 11 again, uh, Come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the, the fear of the Lord. Please note the the word for fear in verses 9 and 11 is different to the word in verse 4. The word for fear in verse 4 is the the terror, the quaking, the trembling word. The word for fear in verse 9 is the respect word, the the holding God in the highest regard, the, the bowing down, the revering, the letting God be God word. He's saying knowing that God is good means that you will revere him and trust him and respect him and just let him be God. And that's the irony of this psalm that David lived in fear day in, day out, week in, week out he feared for his life but he was fearing the wrong people he was fearing the Philistines, he was fearing Saul and he learned the right thing is to fear God to trust God, to respect God why? because God is bigger than the Philistines and God is more powerful than Saul and God is stronger than any of your enemies and God can control anything with a click of his finger and that's why you and I are called to, to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God just means to, to obey him really. To trust him, to do what he says really. That's what verses 11 to 14 is all about. Come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever you love's life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it he's saying if you know that God is good fearing him means that you will turn from evil and that you will do good you'll turn away from the wrong things and you'll say yes to the good things knowing that God is good means that you are eager to do good now it's pretty simple isn't it (laughs) if you really trust God and fear God and revere him as God then the way that you live your life will be one of obedience and respect and doing what the word says we find that hard don't we 
because naturally we don't want to do what the word says naturally we incline to do the wrong thing so there's a story of, of a couple who are sitting in the living room and there's a, a, the kids are playing next door and suddenly next door it, there's an ominous silence and the wife turns to her husband and says uh, can you pop in next door and find out what the kids are doing wrong and the assumption is you know that if there's silence then they're doing wrong things and just the way that we're wired we naturally want to do what the Bible doesn't say but if you fear God and if you trust him and revere him it basically says twist your natural bias start to do the good things and say no to the wrong things keep your tongue from evil verse 13 and from your lips from speaking lies so when people slander you don't slander them back no no speak a kind word if people are gossiping about you don't gossip back speak a kind word turn from evil and do good that's how 1 Peter picks up this psalm it says when someone slanders you or falsely accuses you don't retaliate don't get your own back be gracious, be kind, be forgiving and be gentle and the incredible thing there is that it says in 1 Peter that if you do that then people will ask you to give them a reason for the hope that you have do you see that? if you really are fearing God and trusting in his goodness then the way that you behave will cause people to ask you questions about Jesus and that's the best advertising campaign isn't it? it beats any mass media or media hype it's just simple people fearing God living godly lives the power of personal persuasion there's a true story about a guy called uh, Joe who flew to a, a city in the US and he flew there to meet his mistress he was in an adulterous affair on the plane over to this city he sat next to a Christian and the Christian invited him to a, a meeting that night where a guy called Keith Miller was speaking uh, his mistress was at work so he went along to this meeting and incredibly he was converted he heard about Jesus, he was converted and he flew back to his hometown and he, he stopped the affair he changed his life about a year later he wrote to Keith Miller uh, the preacher and explained that he'd been converted, become a Christian he said I'd love you to come over and, and to speak to my friends and Keith is going do I really want to fly over to the other side of the states just to speak to a room full of small people about Jesus but there was something about this letter that persuaded him so he got on the plane he flew to the other side of the states and he turned up at this meeting and he walked into this room and instead of a handful of little people there were 800 people who were gathered together 800 people who had been affected by the changed life of this man and there's something persuasive that, that, that encouraged him to come to this meeting and, and Keith the preacher said these words it's pretty humbling I realised in that moment that all the Christian promotions and programmes all the advantages campaigns crusades in the world are virtually useless to motivate people to become Christians unless they see ordinary people like Joe finding new hope and a new way to live in Christ and then people will sit up and listen now that for me is a huge challenge because you can get people into this door and they're not persuaded by clever arguments they listen when they see transformed lives you and I fearing God because we know that he's good and living obedient lives because we know that he's good the last behavioural change is this it's praising God with our lips look at verse 1 
David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. He's saying, in the good times, in the bad times, whatever the circumstances, I want to praise God because he's good. Verse 2, my soul will boast in the Lord, will declare God's goodness. Or verse 3, come on, sing with me. I invite you to glorify the Lord with me. Let us together exalt his name. See, that's the mark of the changed believer. That's the mark that you grasp that God is good, that your lips are full of praise, that your lips speak words of thanksgiving, that, according to verse 5, your faces are radiant. They shine the goodness of God. And you see it so often. The Christian, the believer, who have really grasped that God is good, even when they go through the hardest of times, they've still got some praise on their lips. There's still things they can thank God for. I see it down in James Mills Retirement Village. Some of those dear old souls are, are facing death and are going through the toughest of times, but some of them have got this positive attitude. There's always thankfulness or praise that comes from, I thank God for this. I thank God for that mirror. I thank God for this place. It's a great psalm, isn't it? If you grasp that God is good, then your lips will praise God. Something in you will shine out praise and thanksgiving. I want to say David is the best salesman. If I met David as he came out of the experience, then I too would want to know this God. Want to know God's goodness and respond with prayer and with fear and with praise. Let me finish by saying, there are probably three types of people here tonight. There'll be some people here tonight who, to use the psalmist language, have never taken refuge in God. You've never actually come to Christ, sheltered under the cross and accepted forgiveness. You're not the person of verse 22 who takes refuge in him. And I want to urge you, please don't hear me say, if you pray, if you fear God, if you praise God, you'll be okay. You need to come to God and take refuge in him. There'll be some here tonight who it's all just uh, just belief. It's all just up here. Your faith is this logical, creedal statement and you've never really tasted and seen God's goodness. You know the facts but you haven't had that personal experience of God's goodness. And you're living off your parents' faith or you're living off your partner's faith and you say Jesus died for the world but you don't say Jesus died for me and I urge you to actually taste and see God's goodness but for most of us here I think we just need to be better salesmen <laughs> just better advertisers if you want you know, we need to talk about or, or sing more about God's goodness and a God who hears us and a God who sees us and a God who protects us and a God who will take us to glory and model with our lives that we're people who take that seriously because we pray and we fear God in obedience and, and we praise God with our, our lips and we shout God come on let's exalt God's name for, uh, together and I wonder if we did that as a church if as men and women we prayed and we feared God and we praised God with our lips then maybe more curability would see that God is good and Jesus is Lord and they might just submit their lives to him let me pray. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Our Lord, you are good. Uh, We thank you that you see all things, you hear all things, you deliver us and you protect us and you will take us into glory. Father, we thank you that you answer our prayers according to your will and it's for uh, our good, even if we don't uh, often see that or feel that. Uh, Lord, please help us to be uh, men and women who with our lips and with our lives uh, praise you and make your goodness known to other people we ask that for Jesus' sake Amen